Aloha, everyone. I'm your host, Christina Laney-Mitri, and welcome to Smart Living Hawaii's podcast, where we discuss smart homes and technology, sustainability, healthy lifestyles, and smart business. Today, we'll continue our Sustainable Leaders series, and we're going to have a talk story with Bhavan Nataraja. He also shares um, with us today Lunch at a Landfills program. And he started this in his high school, and we'll learn about a program that can be adopted in just about any town across the America to help keep food, waste, and recyclables out of landfills. And this will also be something that youth can be involved with through the whole process. We'll also dive into the mind of an 18-year-old to get a better understanding of the younger generation's view on sustainability, climate change, and the environment. So... It was super amazing to me to see students in high schools so passionate, driven, and accomplished before entering college. That is why we are here today with Bobin. So thanks so much. Hi, Bobin. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. Um, and hi, how are you guys doing today? Awesome. So I'm just going to give a short little spiel on Bobin and he doesn't have a long list. <laughs> He's only 18. So Bobin is an intern at Barty Mountainside Ranch, who is also a student currently on a gap year. Um, he doesn't have a huge bio like I was mentioning um, with school and extensive career path of 20 years because he's only 18. But uh, he has accomplished so much in his high school career. And it's been really impressive to see him grow and we wanted to share that he is from and graduated from Oakdale High School in Maryland. So he is on the East Coast. And I know we usually push out and share information with um, people here in Hawaii. But we are looking to bring what he started uh, over there to over here in Hawaii. So that's why we're um, talking today. So... I'm going to let him explain Lunch at a Landfills on his own. But before we do that, maybe you can share with us a little bit about your background and growing up in Maryland. Yeah, of course. Um, so, yeah, I grew up in Maryland my whole life, um, a town about 40 minutes outside of Washington, D.C. and 40 minutes outside of Baltimore. So we're smack in the middle. Um, so our town is definitely very interesting because I've watched it grow and expand so much throughout my own lifetime. Um, toward the younger years of my childhood, it was very almost rural. And now it's more of like a city and a lot of commuters going into D.C. and going into Baltimore, which is very cool. And it provides us a great opportunity to really get involved with sustainable action because it's a growing town and people are coming and we can put new things in our community where people will kind of adopt them into their lifestyle as young couples move in, young families. Um, and also just young kids can go home after a school day where they learned how to compost and go tell their parents like, hey, we should compost at home too. So that's kind of a little bit about my background. That's my my interest. I grew up um, traveling around the world and we would go and um, spend time and spend like days with like less fortunate people with food stuff, particularly working in food banks, going out and passing out food. And I think that's kind of where a passion for wanting to make sure that no one who's hungry can't eat. And we're really continuing to sustain a future where we're not wasting food like 
like left and right. Um, so yeah, there are a few um, really, really shocking figures if you look, and we never really used those at Lunch Out Landfills. We did some of our own studies and we found that, you know, at a local elementary school every day, close to 70 milk bottles were unopened and wasted. Um, and so for that, Lunch Out Landfills was kind of a, an almost like a given. So Lunch Out Landfills started um, by Joe Richardson in 2017. He was a Rotarian um, and he is very involved with environmental action. Um, he started the program, tried to get some traction, but ultimately it was very hard because, you know, COVID was starting to come around the corner around 2019. And it was just very difficult to, to get any traction with the program that would last year over year. Um, around 2019, early in the fall is when I got involved with Lunch Out Landfills. Um, Joe was trying to get a program started at a local high school. And I said, hey, like I can, uh, this is something I'm really passionate about. I'm really into food waste. Um, I've been working heavily with the Rotary Club up to that point. And Joe said like, hey, yeah, like this is an amazing program. You're a young high school student who will be here for a few years. Um, and it ended up unfolding into a lot more than that. But it, um, but I got involved. Um, it was just, you know, me, Joe, and like one other student at that point in time. But it was really just, you know, going around, emailing everyone we can, getting in as many meetings as we can, going and presenting to as many places as we can, and, and trying to get this program out, trying to get people to hear the message and understand what we were trying to do. Um, so then I started working with Joe. I worked really heavily with him many, many hours every week. Um, we ended up enrolling it in my high school. We figured out like a good structure, a good system. We got some some baseline data to understand like how it works at different high schools, how it works at different middle schools and how it works at different elementary schools. Cause there are differences in the data you'll see when you get in the different age groups of kids. Um, there's so many different things that there, there are to learn when starting a program like this. And many things for me as a 15 year old, I would never have thought of. Cause mm -hmm. for me, you know, I'd never done a project like that. It was just, you know, unroll. I want to do this and unroll it. Cause in school, that's what a project is like. Like you want to do something and you just go do it for us there. It was very interesting because um, I came across so many things I never would have experienced and never would have thought, you know? Um, and another thing was back then it was maybe something like less easy to get heard about. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't as easy to get in front of people who actually wanted to listen and cared because, because a lot of people would, would be like, and not even to their own fault, they have very busy lives. And especially on the school board, especially people who are working in the school system, like teachers are so busy, especially with COVID. I mean, teachers were really, really pressed hard. And it was so difficult to get a program like this started because, because I, like, I felt so bad for teachers who are really running around left and right, trying to juggle students, teach in a, in a hybrid system, you know, it was just a difficult time. And um, but eventually lunch out landfills kind of start to grow and a couple uh, groups um, around us in Montgomery County, Maryland, which is closer to Washington, D.C., ended up starting programs. Um, and those would be like very student run programs. The goal of lunch out landfills is to be a student led and run organization. Um, and that's kind of what it is. So at my high school, I worked with another student and our green environmental aid teacher. Um, and, and she was a real champion with it. She helped us, gave us all of the school support that she could give us. I mean, she really, really made it an amazing um, experience to work with Lunch Out Landfills for us. And I know she worked really hard. I know it was very um, difficult because it was the first program that was like really successfully starting and going year over year. Mm -hmm. Before that, we kind of done like trial runs. So could uh, you just 
for the people that are listening, they actually probably don't know what Lunch Out of Landfills is yet. So uh -huh. maybe you can just explain oh, yeah. what it is so people understand like this program that you had started and then created over time. Yeah. So Lunch Out of Landfills is basically at a local, uh, I guess I can start with the story. I had mentioned that um, at Lincoln Elementary, 70 milk bottles were wasted in a day. On top of that, there were also many fruits. Um, and we also just had like, like various plastic things thrown in the trash. And it was a very contaminated waste stream. But we also saw at the same time that our local community was struggling. You know, food banks were not having enough food in them. There was issues with people and homelessness and food insecurity was on the rise in our neighborhood. So so what Joe and myself and uh, some other Rotarians and students kind of tried to get involved with was, was taking that wasted food at the school and donating it to the food banks. Um, so that was like the initial kind of idea with Lunch Out Landfills. And then another side to it was whatever is wasted, we throw it in a compost bin that gets picked up you know, on a weekly, daily, whatever the frequency your school chooses basis. And, and it goes to a compost facility where it's then turned into compostable material, which is much more healthy for your soil. Um, so there's a few requirements. We needed a commercial compost facility, which luckily for us, there was one in near us and there was one in some of the neighboring counties as well. Um, you need that, you need support from people around you and you need people who are passionate about doing it because you're really trying to reteach the way that people are wasting and and what they're doing with their waste. Um, I, does that kind of give it more clarity? Yeah, and then also the recycling of whatever you could re reuse or recycle, right? Yeah. So, so I think for the most part, maybe you could share some stats of things because I know that's that's a huge part of this. I mean, I want to dive into what you have done in the after this you know kind of like the stats and the data is key to you know then you move into legislation you move into bills you move into funding right so maybe we can start with just the alarming stats that you've you've kind of collected over these couple of years yeah um, uh the stats are kind of if you look on the internet you can find it everywhere food waste is is incredible like people are wasting food without even realizing it, you know um but for us, I think the very alarming one was what I said with like, the, I think it was 73 milk bottles in one day. And this was a title one elementary school. So, so 40% of the students at that school came from uh, farms programs, which are the free and reduced meals programs. Um, so that was a very interesting statistic for us that, you know, like a school where, where kids are really struggling in a neighborhood where kids and families are struggling financially and they're wasting um, almost 60% of the, the food that th that's given to them on a daily basis. Right. Um, so that, that is very alarming. Um, other, there are other national stats that you can look at, but it's really depends community to community. Like I know talking to Christina that in Hawaii food insecurity is, is a huge issue because it's an isolated Island and, you know, transporting items and goods into the Island are, can be difficult. So it really, really depends on the neighborhood you're looking at, but, um, if you if you look at it at a local elementary school and you can see what um, the compost that we that we can track is at that elementary school, you'll find that 83% is the average number of what would have been in the waste stream and what would have been in trash that is now going to somewhere where it's being um, 
diverted. Yeah, it's being diverted efficiently and good for the environment. I mean, one concern that people may have, which is very, very fair, is um, the cost of composting is so expensive, you know? So lunch out landfills, the goal in that financial kind of the model that we run by is if we can reduce the amount of dumpster pulls every week from trash going in, which which is doable, you know, um, each dumpster holds a couple thousand pounds of, of trash. And if you can reduce that much trash every week, um, then you can reduce the dumpster pulls. And that is a significant amount of money. That, and that is the budget, just for people to understand, that is the budget that it costs the school and their budgets just to throw away trash and to take yeah. it to the landfills or take it to the incinerator. Like even in our building where I live in a condo that's like 33 mm -hmm. stories, it's the same the same issues that we have here in Hawaii is that, you know, which is ironic because we don't have a lot of recycling here. But what happens is, you know, the manager downstairs who deals with doing this um, calculation to help budget for the association, they're like, there's this amount for dumping. And then uh -huh. there's this cost to have a whole bin for recycling, um, except for now recycling cardboard or whatever, it, it ends up costing more. So yeah. then they now just pay extra for the dump one, which is sad, right? Because now uh, we're paying yeah. more for trash. I mean, we're paying another dumpster yeah. for trash. And the cardboard's going right in there. And then uh -huh. that's going to the incinerator. We have in Hawaii um, mm -hmm. an incinerator. So we're burning our trash here. Um, uh -huh. Our landfills are getting pretty full. And there are certain things that go there that can't get burned. Um, but most everything does get burned and then turned into energy. And it sounds great, but it's not the best. If yeah. we can turn into composting, great. That's that's better. Yeah. Um, if we can recycle, it's better. But we are shipping our stuff mm -hmm. out for recycling on the most part so <laughs> yeah i mean i i completely agree and i think um it's interesting and and i mean for sure i understand like at my house we we had a compost bin for a long time and and it, it would definitely be like something where it smells bad and it's kind of a pain to to do and but at a school if you set the five bins up next to each other and it really works well for elementary school kids because they're impressionable you know they they understand that like if you if you show them something that they can do and it's not it's it's a habit that you can build rather than a habit that you have to kind right. of repeat. yeah <laughs> and it's rather than something it's a it's some it's a behavior you can you can show and teach rather than have to kind of understand why what you learned and what you're comfortable with is different and why that might not be as sustainable um and that that's kind of where lunch out landfills gets into the more environmental education type of type of um a work where lunch out landfills is really the goal is to almost re-educate kids not not in like the the change the curriculum completely but like just like reteach the way that we're learning and interacting and understanding our environmental issues from a young age and it's very amazing to see that a lot of the students who who are involved with lunch out landfills are, are really young kids you know um mm -hmm. at one of the local high schools here uh there's a a a fifth grade girl who who took on a, a job like that where she where she started it in her elementary school and um she worked with us to to kind of grow from there and and she's done amazing with it so that's the goal here you know it's it's a, a someone with a support system behind them takes this model that we put together we built and with our aid with the contacts this kit that kind of lunch at landfills has put together 
we help them start it up and they can get going from there. That's the goal. Um, but there is like, there are some scalability issues, you know, how often do you hear about a commercial compost facility? Like that's not something that every town in America has. Um, very many do, but a lot do not as well. So, mm -hmm. so those, those are things that you just have to consider when you're looking at a program like this, because, um, there are definitely some factors that are very difficult to, to kind of fit into certain community communities, but you will be surprised at some of the places that do have this infrastructure, you know, like the last places you would expect. Um, so it's very interesting. And, and it's a, and it's a program that, that in a community can just help bring the community together because a lot of people are connecting through their kids, through the school um, and through a behavior and through a habit. Yeah. I think when this is maybe five or six years ago or so I was with the young professionals program at uh, the Chamber of Commerce of Hawaii. And we had a round table with a whole bunch of, I would say, millennials. And one of them just moved from San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And this is just goes to show how much of an impact you'll make when you do reach the younger generation at the very start of just building habits and building, you know, and teaching, right? Versus yeah. breaking habits, right? I really like that that quote i think with the younger generation to say like you're building a habit versus breaking a habit i'm going to start using yeah. that <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean um, and so it was neat because she shared we were talking about recycling and we were talking about things that are here and she said when she first came here she just was like couldn't comprehend why we didn't have recycling and why people are throwing these things away and and how like her whole life everything was sorted and in San Francisco I mean they have another bin now for composting and mm -hmm. it's by law that you have to do it that way yeah. and so when she came here and everything was not done that way she was actually bothered by it, you know? yeah, <laughs> and it was was, like, yeah, like, where do I put this plastic where do I put these things and she just can't see like herself throwing it in a regular trash bin so you know to get the kids early on and thinking this way and knowing that this is the way to live or to do things it's just an automatic thing to where they'll carry it on for the rest of their lives so yeah that's it's definitely important. it's definitely impactful I know I know one thing that that Joe always talks about is how kids go home and talk he has grandkids so he talks about how they come home they see this and they they come home and come show their parents and him and they'll be like look what we did today like like we should do this at home and that kind of thing um so that's i know that's something very driven home about like it's it really means something when you're showing it to little kids who who kind of find something interesting and they see that they can help their planet in a in a positive way um and I can talk more about that when we start talking about like some of the legislation we we worked on as a yeah as let's a go there for sure yeah if you, if you want to go there now we can um so in February of 2022 um data from lunch out of landfills was used to craft a bill in the Maryland um the state house and state senate um and that data was kind of just like this is how much we can divert this is how much our waste is going to the landfill stuff like that um, and I, I want to point out that, that having a liquids category where you put like a net over a bucket and kids pour their liquid in is incredible for saving money on, on how much trash is getting pulled away because you don't think about how much liquid really accumulates in that, you know, someone drinks half a soda can and they throw it in the trash. Um, five kids do that all of a sudden, you know, that's two full soda cans of weight 
in a bag and it takes up a very small amount of space in the trash bag. It also makes the trash smell bad, leak. Um, so liquids in the trash stream are, are very bad. Um, huh. And it makes it cost more when you want to tow it because it, it costs a lot more. It takes up more dumpster space, et cetera. Mm. Um, so, so liquids, having a liquids bin on its own is just a very good idea in general. Even if you don't have a compost bin, a liquids bin is just a very a valuable thing to, to have at your, your school, at your cafeteria, whatever it may be. Um, so anyway, the data was very alarming. And a lot of it was because, you know, we realized how much liquid waste, trash, um, recycling compost there was. And, and we could see the breakdown of, you know, like it was literally 80% of what's going in the trash usually is stuff that can be going elsewhere and and it can end there you know the school only has to haul away 15 to 20 percent of what they actually have hauling away right now um that's a lot so, yeah it's it's, uh, it's very alarming i mean it depends on some did you calculate so, how much that is for a school like budget money wise i mean i'm no, just so that's actually that's where we're trying to go now we're trying to we're trying to figure out how much school systems allocate in their budget to um to, to haul like one dumpster. And with that information, we actually just um, went to a local college in, in Frederick, Maryland, and we spoke to doctoral students and we were looking to see if we could figure out a way that they could kind of employ a research project on this where they figure out how much money is really in this whole system. Because there are, there are many aspects of that, you know, there are on each school level, each dumpster level, but there's also like school system wide level and uh, tiers of that. If you do 10 schools, if you do 20 schools, if you do half the school system, 75%. Well, yeah. Of school. I mean, if you're looking at public alone, right. And yeah. this is state money. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, every school has its own budget and they're using their own budget, but overall arching it's DOE money that's coming yeah. out of out of the state. So if you know off the top that you're no longer going to have to pay 80% of what you're, mm -hmm. you know, paying to trash, then that money could be used for a composting facility or yeah. something yeah, right? exactly. in this whole program. But, but the issue is, say. you know, it it can be kind of it's like any kind of startup or or new idea which where it's like you don't know if you're going to consistently hit that 80% number, you know. And you don't want to you don't want to sign a deal where you only get money if you hit that eighty percent, and then funding cuts off because what if one year you hit sixty five percent? That's still a very good change, you know. It's more than half, but it's not anywhere near eighty percent, you know. So that's that's where you kind of get to the tricky part of getting funding. Um, but anyway, so this um, this funding bill, we we organized um, the gathering across the state of Maryland, bunch um, of landfills. Joe, myself, and another student that I worked very closely with in high school, we organized um, and designed 6,000 postcards that we passed out around the whole state. We had kids, student groups that were into composting around the whole state, passing these out. And uh, so each kid, like for the elementary schoolers, they would draw a little image and then write down which representative they wanted to go to. For the, for the high school kids, they would write notes, you know. And then we organized a bus filled the bus. We had the postcards in, in, um, in baggies and we walked down to the state house or drove down and then walked around the state house and handed them individually to each, um, each, uh, delegate, each representative. Um, and that those bills ended up getting passed almost unanimously in both, in both houses. So they allocated money toward grant based funding for schools that wanted to apply through the state of Maryland, um, to get compost programs started. Um, and, 
Um, I couldn't personally speak at that because I had a track meet the day that they had their, <laughs> their, their ways and means committee meeting. But um, a, a lot of the kids I work very closely with, a lot of the people that, um, that you know, I, I felt very close within the program and a lot of the people that I work closely to, to kind of bring them into the program and say like, hey, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. Um, a lot of those people got to speak there and, you know, they had a witness list that was a very long, a lot of passionate speakers. Um, um, and it was it was on like a Zoom style meeting because it was right before the chamber opened back for in-person meetings, but they went and they spoke and the bills ended up getting passed. Um, so it was very valuable and it was very inspiring that Lunch Out Landfill's data and support was really what what kind of championed that across the finish line. Um, for, so you, for, before you went to the ledge, how long was the program working and how many students would you say were involved? Um, I would say, so before the we went to the legislature, we had been doing it at my high school for, so yeah, the first like year over year program that was working was two years, mm -hmm. but there was a program at a local high school that had been going the year before us, but they stopped after that year. They couldn't, they couldn't sustain it. Um, so yeah, the, the first like ongoing program, it's really three years, but the ongoing program was two years. Um, um, and gathered students, many, we were going everywhere, like, hey, like, any interest in the environment, just come down and, and support because we want to have a big group and walk around and, and, you know, the delegates wanted to come meet us. So um, students who were just like, even in just their high school's green club, which has 100 kids in it already, they would just sign up and come. So um, I would say students that like really worked on it, myself and another student worked really heavily on it in in Frederick County, like I had worked on it my junior year and sophomore year, and I brought her along for later in junior year of high school. Um, and then we had like, you know, people I was meeting new, like, like just new friends I was meeting. And we also had a lot of younger kids, like with their parents, elementary schoolers. Um, and then there were people from neighboring counties who those, um, those like student groups that kind of came off of lunch out landfills because of like the work that Lunch Out Landfills did, those student groups that kind of, that bounced off of it. A lot of, some of those kids came as well. Um, so yeah, it was, in general, it was a, it was a, a pretty big, cool affair. Um, and it was super interesting to, to meet all the delegates, spend a, a Friday afternoon, drive down to Annapolis, Maryland, and, and just meet everyone and, and see how much passion there was. I think one thing that was very interesting to me was it was very much across party lines. And so something interesting is through both the Maryland State Senate and the State House, um, like all the representatives, so which is which is like, oh, I don't know, I would get over over 100 representatives, only four people voted against it um, in total. So that was very, very interesting and um, supportive as well. There were even like handwritten postcards and letters that were from the representatives saying like, hey, this was um, extremely valuable. Thank you for coming down. We really support you. Um, and then something very cool with where I wanted to touch with this, I got a little bit sidetracked was um, the kids on the postcards. It would be like really cute little drawings that were yeah. a kid drawing themselves, throwing something into a big green bin. Um, so you kind of see how, what it means to them. It's just like, like this is the way to do things, not this is a different way to do things, which um, it's important to understand both, both things in both ways. And it's important to understand the effects of both ways, because when you teach it that way, you can understand like, like, hey, our environment is 
you know, our communities are going hungry. Our environment is is taking all these greenhouse gases in from food that's just rotting and all this extra carbon and all this from the way we're, we're wasting food and producing food that just gets wasted. Um, and when you can understand that and see when people struggle in your community, then it becomes a more significant issue to these little kids, which is very inspiring to me. Yeah, when I... When I worked in South Central in California, we worked with a lot of students. Um, and then also here during COVID, there are a lot of you know Title I schools as well that their only food source for mm-hmm. that day is their school. breakfast and lunch from school. Mm-hmm. And when they're, they're on the weekends, they're not getting food. And in South Central, they have track systems. So when they're off track, it's like we would, I would work with the Salvation Army, we'd have programs just during yeah. the day and they would get a lunch and be able to get lunch from the school um, if they're in our program. So they would literally join our program just so they could get breakfast and lunch. Yeah. So to know that a lot of the food wasted, you know, can still be salvaged, I mean, that's key because these these kids would come during covid to here and they their whole families would be coming to pick up lunches you know because yeah. that was their own they they counted on it every day for their kids so mm-hmm. no yeah I, um i got a very good sense of that and when i was in middle school because i went to a middle school the the districting was very weird in in my county and i went to a middle school that um it wasn't in a bad socioeconomic spot, especially compared to some, you know, inner city schools. And but it was definitely a lot different than what I had grown up with. And it was a lot different than my high school experience. Um, therefore, it was a lot different than what most kids I had gone to high school with had ever experienced. Um, so, yeah, like uh, that was the first time I really kind of got to see kids who who struggled and their only meals were ones that they got through the school. Um, and so just like watching wasted food. Um, come through the the waste stream when I got to high school was was kind of like like crazy you know in one lunch they would fill up five or six big trash bins with mostly food that could be you know wasted or plastic or you know just like single-use items so so that is very concerning when you think about it because because a lot of us don't realize what what we're doing to not only the environment but also just the community I'm very I'm very interested in that community aspect of it um, because I think that, I think that matters a lot, you know, uh, we don't want to, we don't want to be wasting food. So, uh, a big win for the, the composting in schools community here was, um, Montgomery County public schools, which is close by to where I live, um, mandated that all their schools have share tables. So, you know, they, they get either a fridge or just a table and, any food that someone doesn't want to eat, they put it in the fridge or they put it on the table. And the fridge has a glass screen. So anyone who knows can just by walking by can see what's in there and they can just go pick it, pick it out if they want it. Um, so yeah, that was a big win. Um, and that's like a, a big thing that you can try to get at at various high schools. There are issues with that though. Like, you know, you're worried about foodborne illness or you're worried about, you know, so many people touching and exchanging the food. Or if you're trying to donate that food to a food bank, you know, does the food bank A have the storage for that much food? And B, let's say you're donating milk. Um, a lot of these milks are very close to that expiration date, you know, within four or five days. So let's say it takes one of your days is wasted by um you're getting the milk to them. Then you only have like one, two, if you're lucky, three days to get the milk out the door. 
And when we're talking about five, six, seven hundred tiny cans of milk like this, you know, tiny, tiny bottles of milk, it it gets it gets difficult because that's a that's now you have a new problem there. You know, you're managing a, a pretty large amount of resources and five, six, seven hundred bottles of milk is only going to come from, you know, maybe 10 schools. And what's interesting is in our county, we have almost 70 schools. So um, what are they going to do with nearly 5,000 milks every day, you know, that, that are coming out? That, that's an impossible problem to deal with. So um, there, are, there are definitely concerns with how big this can grow because we, so that's why it feels like almost like you need to teach people to just like, like just drink it. Cause you, if you're buying a lunch, you have to take certain amounts of items, but a lot of kids are, are not going to eat all the items that they have because either the quality is not great um, or it doesn't taste that good or it looks kind of gross or, you know, they're not that hungry for carrots. Or they're today. lactose intolerant. Yeah. Or they're lactose intolerant. <laughs> um, there, there are a million different things and a million different ways you can like, you can see this. And something interesting is last year. Um, Do they uh, have the option? I don't even know now. I should have asked my daughter. Do they have the option of just like not taking a milk and then it stays refrigerated? Um, so I don't, in Frederick County, no. I don't know how that Why would go. That? Um, that's a, that's a federally mandated, um, oh. like you have to take the, you have to take a certain amount of greens, vegetables, um, grain, protein, you know, like, um, and, and that I completely agree with, you know, like, like a lot of kids, if this is their only meal, they need to be getting at least as many nutrients and, and get the full, the full rainbow of a plate, um, as they can, you know, different vegetables, different, you know, just like food groups of different varieties. Mm -hmm. Um, but an issue is in Frederick County, and I think across a lot of the state of Maryland and maybe the U S I don't know if this was a Maryland state government decision or a federal government decision, but the first year out of COVID, so 2021 to 2022 school year, mm -hmm. um, they were serving free lunches in the, in the cafeterias. So no matter who you were, if you typed in your student ID, you could get a free lunch every day. One uh -huh. free lunch. Um, yeah, so we had that federal, as well. Yeah. So, so I guess it's federally mandated um, and they don't have that anymore, but, the issue with that was um, kids would just go, you know, it's free. So they, they want a piece of pizza after they eat their lunch, they'll go get a piece of pizza. But then you see where the problem arises because they already ate their lunch. Um, so A, now it's trusting a kid to, to eat their own vegetables, you know, like a, a trusting that a fourth grader is going to eat their vegetables on their own, on their own, you know, motivation. B, it's they already ate vegetables. So why are they going to go eat them again? Um and see now that they have to take those certain groups and there's no way around that right because because you also want to make a way that kids do take this food if that's their only meal you know so so it's a tricky situation as far as that because because then those kids will go eat the pizza they'll throw away the apples they come in a plastic bag they'll throw away the carton of milk they'll throw away whatever like fries or mashed potatoes that also comes with it and then on top of all that they'll throw away the styrofoam the styrofoam tray that it all comes on yeah, uh, which sucks. So, we don't so have you, that anymore. <laughs> yeah, so if you think about the amount of waste that, that comes out of that right there, it's 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 incredible, you know, because think about that and then a uh, school with 1,400 kids, um, let's say 60 or let's just say 50% of them are doing it. That's 700 kids throwing that much stuff away every day. 
Yeah. Which is incredible. It is. Yeah. And getting those stats and those numbers are just so alarming after once you see them that it, yeah. it does make change. Um, and they do see where you can cut costs, right? Because I mean, that's always what the government's trying to do and budget wise, um, how to spend things or downspin. And, and this is definitely an area that I think will draw attention to them and then they're going to be very attracted to it. So I yeah. think in our state, anyhow, and our counties, it will be well received once we get it out here. So that's yeah. that's kind of the goal that we're trying to no, do. Yeah. Um, we have Aloha Harvest here uh -huh. as well. And um, I'll definitely be introducing you to Phil um, on our meeting that we have coming up. Mm -hmm. We are you know, kind of getting this in front of Rotary as well. I think what you said, which was very true, and one thing that I focus on for our nonprofit is to work on community projects that are going to attract everybody for the greater good. Mm -hmm. um, when you can find a project that will unite everybody with their differences, yeah. Um, that is a way to make huge change at a quick pace and it happens. So, you know, when you have unanimous votes on things like you're talking about, that's, and it's not, you know, Republican, it's not Democrat, it's, yeah. it's human based, you know, um, those are the things that are really getting traction and there's big change in those areas. And when that helps the environment, um, that's just like everybody says okay to that, right? So that's uh -huh. why I feel um, everybody's being very open to these things, especially if it's going to save money. Um, and so I think I wanted to, since we didn't really get to talk about it too much before we close, I did want to share a little bit about um, my passion for different generations. And uh -huh. um, I'm a Gen Z. I mean, Gen, uh -huh. Gen X, I'm sorry. I'm a Gen X. My um, parents are baby boomers. Uh -huh. I have um, a lot of millennial friends and my children are Gen Z. And my grand, my grandpa, he's turning 102. Wow. So it's not even, what is it, post-war? It's World War II, <laughs> that, yeah, that World War group. Um, so he's turning 100, 102 in a couple of weeks. So um I've done some blogs and different things on generations and why they are the way they are. Um, and I think it's so important for people to understand generations and the way they think and how they feel, um, what they gravitate to, yeah. because we're interacting with everybody in all different capacities for different reasons, you know, and yeah. I've been working with, nonprofit organizations for the past 15 years. And I feel one of my biggest contributions have been being able to relate to people. And the older nonprofits have the old school ways, you know, and, and yeah. same with businesses. And they're trying to tap into the younger demographic and whether it's for donors or whether it's for employees right i mean yeah. in order to do that you need to understand um what their needs and their wants are and um having a real human interaction and connection with these people and you can't just you know 
tell them what to do. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. I, it's all I about find that very valuable. So, um, to me, I really wanted to. Um, it this is like one of my big passions is to understand people and to have a human interaction and connection with them. And it is possible for people to have this within the different generations. Um, but it is a human touch and it's a human connection mm -hmm. that I believe is a basis of, of love and respect to people. And mm -hmm. when you have that, you know, it opens a positive space for everybody, regardless of if we agree on everything, that yeah. we can work together and that we can make positive change. Without that and that faith that, you know, that trust that you will have in me, you know, mm -hmm. us being across the country. I mean, we are probably the furthest away possible, yeah, but here we I'm are connecting on the same level. And I am, you could have been my, how old are you? I could have easily given birth to you. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? You could have totally been my child at this point. Um, and just to know that we can still be on the same wavelength and still yeah. be connected and still, you know, work together and respect each other at that level is what I think everybody needs to learn how to do so we can move forward together. So um, maybe you can share. I, I mean, I just want people to see that, you know, this isn't yeah. just your vision and your passion. Maybe you can share your thoughts on your generation and what they're. Oh, yeah their thoughts are and passions are and maybe their frustrations and yeah. you know what's motivating and driving you guys yeah I would say for me that's like people people are a huge passion of mine um you know when I was growing up I would love to play Monopoly with my family because I really like negotiating and and like cutting deals and and people and I've always had this kind of like start with a small idea or a project or a business and grow it and you know kind of almost like like almost like a salesman where I'm kind of like just interacting with people all day. And and I think that connection is so important because in my time with Lunch Out Landfills, I've connected with, you know, fifth graders and I've connected with 50 year olds and I've connected with, you know, like, like Joe, I work every day. I, I have a long phone call with Joe and I work with him very tightly every day. Um, and he's, you know, a lot older, like he's, he's in 60s, 70s year old generation. So um, how old are your parents, by the way? Uh, my parents are in their mid fifties. Um, okay. so I'm a, I'm a little bit young for, for my parents, but I have, I have old, an older brother. So, so I guess it evens out a little bit. Um, but I think that I completely agree with, with whatever product it is. And I think, you know, this is just one manifestation of, of a passion I have where I get to really drive my interest in, in kind of like the economics of a community, the, the social science aspect of like the psychology of people's minds um the the public policy like like going and working with politicians i've worked with local politicians i'm working with a local politician right now um and that was really a focus of my gap year to take this environmental issue and this this kind of like create an idea this form a project i that what i that what i had and explore it from as many different places as i could so that came from, you know, working at Barty Ranch. Um, that came from, I'm researching right now in an environmental economics department. Um, that came from working on a local campaign where I'm getting a really public policy type of side, seeing, you know, I go around and I knock, you know, hundreds of doors every day. I mean, every uh, 
three to four days and I get to meet all these people and I get to kind of explore that interest and see what people are doing. And, and I was really, really, you know, I, I started working with the campaign with the, with the interest of like policy, you know, I was like, okay, where well, this is the policy you want to make. Um, I have some expertise with environmental and like economic policy in this area as a kid who has experience like this. Um, and now I would say I enjoy just as much, if not more, um, like a Saturday morning where I go and knock doors for, for four or five hours. I, I, I think it's amazing every day when I get to knock on a door and, and some people will be, will be a little bit scary or like rude or like, you know, you just think like, since you're, you're advocating for a candidate that they're going to be completely on the other side and you're a little scared of that. But, but a lot of people will just come outside and you'll have a 30 minute conversation with a complete stranger and you find some middle ground. Um, so at this point, my question is because, you know, you're a go-getter. These are things you're passionate about. Um, there's not, everybody's not a Bavin in their school. So <laughs> there wasn't a whole bunch of you, but how was it with the students that you did? Cause I know when you started just for people that do not know, um, he was part of an interact in his school yeah. that started off with when you were there at freshman year, there's around nine, you said? Um, yeah. So my, my freshman year, like later in the years when I joined, like around, I would say May or June. Um, and at that point there were like 30 kids in the club, but then, um, a lot of them left to go to college, like about 21 of them left to go to college. So <laughs> I think, I think, um, by the time the, the biggest growth period was between sophomore and junior year. So we had recruited a bunch of people. Again, they were seniors and they went to college. So at the end of my sophomore year, we were at seven kids in the club. And I said, you know what? We cannot keep recruiting upperclassmen. So I really pushed out to get, you know, underclassmen in, upperclassmen, middle, you know, like, like create structures in the club where it was, um, where it was just, you know, something sustainable. And so and I how also passionate would you say everybody was about the programs that you guys had at your school? Because I guess to see this generation and what interests them, I could tell there's going to be, you know, outliers like yourself, and there's going to be leaders out there that are going to take this charge. But just to see a general, I don't want to generalize it either, but to see like the majority of people that this, this tugs on their hearts, your guys' mm -hmm. hearts. And this is like, you know, something that yeah. you're really, everybody's kind of on board is, do you feel that way with the students uh, in the school or I is would, it like, I don't know. <laughs> no, I would say it definitely, definitely varies. Um, in a 50 person club, um, uh, so there was a local Rotarian that I worked very closely with and we would have a call, you know, once, twice a week. And, and I, before we had like started this recruitment process, I had aimed for, you know, in a 50 person club, I, my goal is that 25% of them are, are, you know, like coming out, spending hours a week and, and like very, very involved with this. Um, so in a 50 person club, about 15%, 15 people, like somewhere between 12 and 15 people is what we expected. What we actually saw is probably somewhere between eight to 12 people who, who were like, really, really go get it. Um, but that really depends, you know, the interact club wasn't a big deal at my high school before I had gotten to it. And we really worked on creating projects that would just create a baseline for it. 
so we started working at like Oktoberfest. We started working at um, 5Ks. We started organizing. One thing I was really into was um, I just, for, for some reason, I'm not sure. I think it was just like the food insecurity thing. Throughout high school, every year, I would organize like one to two canned food drives. Um, and like overall through high school, we ended up collecting thousands of pounds, thousands of dollars and donating it to food banks. Um, so that was, that was something that really got people involved because they saw like, it wasn't even like a crazy time commitment. You know, we, we create the media, you push it out on Facebook, on, on, you know, the, the, the neighborhood group chats and you, and you put bins up and you go collect them once or twice a week, you know? So at that point I couldn't drive. So my mom would drive me to pick it up, but, but, um, but yeah, so I think it really depends on, on, I think where you are, what kids motivations are. Um, there are definitely like local high schools where you see 30, 40, 50 kids who are, who are extremely passionate going super hard at this. And then there are some high schools where it's, it's very hard to find one, you know, but I personally believe that every high school has at least five kids who will want to be passionate about something like this and want to go all in on something like this, because even if, say they're not passionate about the environment and they're not passionate about this particularly, this is a, a project that they can start with, you know, like there is something, it's such a big project at this point that there's something that will pique their interest in some facet of it. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think with as far as environmental issues, there have been many student groups that came out, like a couple of my friends started something where they just organize people to, to go out every weekend and, and clean up stuff. Um, like local parks they would organize with with local grocery stores to clean up their parking lots i mean there's so many different ways that kids do this and i i just i don't know like if i can give a number on that but but it, it feels very inspiring to see the amount of kids who are really really involved with this yeah and i think i guess it's it's come down from i would say college to high school now and i think that's great and in the younger generations i think a lot of the there's some gaps between I would say some of the students because their parents maybe had you know different um different marriages right and you've got yeah. like I in in my household I have a 12 year old and a two-year-old so uh -huh. the dynamics of the different age groups the younger generation is picking up what the older kids are doing yeah. and and it's it's almost like much more quicker of that what they're learning no I'm, so it's very I interesting I mean, this is going to be a little bit off the path of what we were talking about before, but um, something very interesting to me is, so I'm pretty much the baby of my family, you know? How far apart are you from your... I'm, I'm only three years apart from my brother, but my brother is is even like kind of a little bit on the younger end of where my parents, of like where he should be for where my parents' ages. So like definitely I'm viewed as, like I grew up always feeling, you know, so like on my dad's side of the family, I'm the youngest. As far as all my cousins, he's one of five kids each of his siblings had two to three kids and I'm still the youngest. Well, how um, old were your parents when they had you guys? Um, 34, my mom was, and my dad was 37. So they were not too old, but they weren't, they were definitely not like, not like younger. But mm -hmm. um, so um, it's interesting because I don't have any younger siblings. That's what I was getting at. I don't, I don't have any younger siblings. Um, and I have younger cousins who are extremely young like they're they're seven and eight and stuff but um 
but I, I don't have any younger siblings that I look at daily and I'm like, I'm like, wow, I'm really interested by what they do. But I do have friends who have younger siblings. And to me, that's super interesting because even though we're all in the, the Gen Z, I mean, I yeah. think the, the accessibility of like getting a phone and getting on social media has really changed. Like the way I grew up is not at all like the way I see even my my seven-year-old turning eight years old cousins who, you know, by the time they were like five or six, they they knew how to fully function an iPad. Like I didn't touch an iPad till I was like in high school. So, uh, so we still had pagers in, in high school. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, and then for that, and then think about that, like the difference between what I am experiencing and what you experience. So it's, it's so, it's so interesting because even though we're in the same generation, we're so not even similar, you know, but I think you were asking me, how do, do young kids get involved and like get inspired in our generation? And I will quickly touch on that. I think, I think it's as cliche as this is. Um, I think it was, I mean, this isn't the way that I got involved. I kind of got involved by like, going in the community and meeting people and um, mm-hmm. just a, a little You're bit of luck. Old school. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would say a little bit of luck, like things kind of led me toward mm-hmm. where they went, where I just like ask questions to the right people at the right time. Um, but I would say it's just like, if you go on to, social media and you follow the right pages and you not even follow them. Like if you're looking at the right pages, the algorithm will start feeding them to you. Um, yeah. And I think <laughs> the right kinds of people will come up and you'll be amazed when you see like, like a, like a, an 18 year old kid who got a time magazine article written about, about an effort they did. Cause then you, you kind of break that, that in your head where it's like, Oh, impossible, wow, right? Yeah, like I'm too young to do that. I don't have the resources to do that, but like, you can really find those. I mean, if you, if you say money's your issue, I mean, you can scour. I have spent days scouring just the internet to find grants. And then you can learn how to write a grant from the internet, or you can contact people who work in grant writing offices and and learn. And, and almost it's like, if you just email the people who formed the grant and say like, okay, like what, you know, ask them for guidelines. A lot of the time they'll, if you get on a phone call with them or email them, they will help you. Like a lot of the time they will give you a, a big push in the right direction. Um, I talked about this when we talked at the, that, the school, the PBA school, um, the, the, just reach out to people, you know, you can reach out to people who work in companies, you know, maybe they work in a clean energy company or a company that's trying to switch to propane instead of like, instead of just like oil. Um, or you can reach out to a university, try to research. I mean, there's so many things you can do. I think accessibility of those things is, is, is at a peak right now and it will continue to get to grow how much you can access these resources. So I, I think that is why kids my age are, are able to, to do this in such like crazy amounts, almost just like everyone can get involved if they wanted. Yeah. Well, I know we're clearly out of time at this point, but I did want to thank you so much for your time. And I'm really excited to see where you're headed. I mean, geez, if only I was this way at 18. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I feel like I'm carrying a lot. You don't have kids and, and a family and all that yet, but um, get it all done and get it all in while you're while you're young. That's what I say. And um, and don't hold back. Just just go for it. So that's my goal. I always want to try to empower, especially the younger generation, to do this because you are our future. So uh-huh. thank you guys so much. Um, let me see real quick before we jump off. Can you share with us um, how for how any how anybody can reach you? Like maybe yeah, you can reach me at email at 
bhavannadaraja at gmail.com, which is B-A-V-A-N-N-A-D-A-R-A-J-A-H at gmail.com. Um, my LinkedIn should be tagged, but it is also just my name. Um, and then my Instagram is bobin underscore Nataraja, same spelling as the email. Awesome. I think that's all the time we have. So thank you so much for joining us. And please also check in on our podcast and follow us at www.smartlivinghi.org. And you can look up the podcast there, or you can go on any podcast platform and um, find us on like Spotify or your iPhone or whatnot. Um, until next time, live smart. Thanks so much. Thank you.